Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. Well, it's so great to see all of you here this morning, those of you who are watching online, everyone here in the worship center on the lower floor and in the balcony, especially our students. So great to see you guys. You are awesome, and you had a a great weekend, and uh, it's just great to be together. Last week, Pastor Daniel Rowland, our student pastor, began our series entitled The Chief End of of man. And if you don't remember, I'll tell you where that line comes from uh, in just a moment. But the series is dealing with uh, the most basic and essential questions of our lives. Why are we here? What is the purpose for our very existence on planet Earth? And, and what are the essential components of, of our being? These are deep and profound questions. And uh, our purpose for life uh, and the, the very things that make us who we are, the answers to these questions cannot be found in human opinion or human philosophy. The only true answers to those very profound questions of our lives can only be found by divine revelation, by the, the Scripture the written Word of God, His revelation of truth uh, to us, the God who created us. And so the answer to our purpose for existence is found in this line. It's an expression of faith based on Scripture that was written all the way back in the 1600s called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And the very first question in that statement of faith is, Why do we exist? And the answer is this. The chief end of man, and that's not gender specific. It means mankind, male and female. The chief end of man is that we glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's a powerful and profound statement. And last week as he opened the series, Pastor Daniel took us to Psalm 145, beginning with verse 8. Let's revisit it together. The psalmist says, The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. And as we look in this series at the four essential components of what makes us unique beings, what makes us us, we'll be looking at these four things, the heart, the mind, the affections, and the will. And today we begin with the heart. A few years ago, I was diagnosed with a congenital heart condition. I'd had it all my life, but didn't know it. 
but because of some unusual symptoms, I went to a cardiologist. He diagnosed my issue, and he said, this, this is such a rare heart condition that I want to refer you to a team of world-class cardiac physicians at the DeBakey Heart Center in Houston Methodist Hospital in the downtown medical center. And I've been blessed to have a team of, of very skilled and insightful physicians who not only diagnosed the specifics of my heart condition, but laid out a treatment plan that would allow me to live a healthy life. Uh, they said that this is not life-threatening if it's treated correctly. And as a part of that treatment, they put into my body, right here uh, just uh, below my clavicle on the, on the left side, uh, a little gizmo, I'll call it, called, I have to read this, an implantable cardioverter defibrillator. And it's, it's really an amazing little device in that it does three very specific things for my heart. First of all, it's a 24-7, 365 monitor of my heart. Every heartbeat that I have is monitored by this little device. It's transmitted to a base unit uh, in our bedroom, and sporadically, these signals are sent back to the manufacturer. Or, if I sense there's something unusual, I could go and pick up the, the top unit off of the base, press a button, and then hold it over this device, and it does what is called an interrogation. It examines all the data that has been fed into this by my heart rate, and then it sends it for analysis to the manufacturer. It works on like a cell signal. So it's a monitor of every beat of my heart. Secondly, it's a pacemaker. And you're probably familiar with pacemakers. And if my heart should have an irregularity, which it does often with my condition, then this pacemaker sends out a little electrical pulse and it puts my heart back on rhythm. And sometimes I can feel it, most of the times I cannot. But it keeps my heart beating at a steady pace. It's a pacemaker. But the third function is, is the most interesting, really. Uh, it's a defibrillator. And if you know what a defibrillator is, have you seen paramedics when, when they're treating somebody whose heart has stopped and they have those paddles? And they put them on the, the patient's heart and it shocks the heart to start it back up again. Well, this little device will do that. It's connected with leads to, uh, to my heart. And if my heart should ever stop, then it would shock it back into functioning. Uh, the first uh, follow-up exam after I had this installed, uh, my electrophysiologist who deals with the electrical part of my heart asked me, has your defibrillator gone off? And I said, I don't think so. And he laughed and said, oh, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. It, it, it literally is like someone putting those paddles on your heart. And so this little device does all of that to keep my heart in a healthy function. And that's important because for all of us, our hearts have to function correctly for us to sustain life. No matter what age we are, we have to have a heart that functions correctly. That's important.
But more important than your physical heart and my physical heart is our spiritual heart. Now, we know that the Scripture often refers to the heart, but we also understand that when it does so, it's not talking about our cardiac muscle. It's talking about our spiritual heart, that part of us that's invisible, that no one can see and no one can know except the God who created us and the person themselves, and even we don't fully understand our own hearts, but we each have a spiritual heart that controls our mind, it controls our will, it controls our emotions, our decisions, it controls the very core of who we are. And that's what we want to unpack from Scripture in today's message. So here's the main theme that I want to try to unpack for you today, our big idea, if you will. It is both a statement and a question for you. Here's the statement. We all have a heart condition. I have a physical heart condition. You may not, but spiritually, we all have a heart condition. And so the question is... What is yours? What is your spiritual heart condition? Proverbs 4.23 is a very important proverb. Listen to these words. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of your life. Uh, How do we determine if our spiritual heart is healthy? Physically, there are tests that they can run that that can determine if if our heart is functioning correctly. Spiritually, that's not true. There's there's not a a gauge on our spiritual heart. There's not a a test we can take or an instrument we can use that will give us a readout about our spiritual heart. So how do we know if our spiritual heart is healthy? Well, first of all, understanding how it works. It begins with a relationship with the one who created it. It begins with a relationship with God. Or to put it this way, a changed heart begins with faith in Jesus Christ. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul from Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. Listen closely. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Now, here's how we explain this often here at Magnolia's First. We say often everybody is on a faith journey. Everybody is on a faith journey. It doesn't matter if you're way over here at this end of the spectrum, maybe even stuck in unbelief. 
But if, if you will know the love of God, if you will be open at all to God's love, if you, if you are willing to understand even just a little bit how much God loves you and how he demonstrated that through sending Jesus, his son, then you're moving toward faith. And as the Holy Spirit draws you, you can be on a journey to faith. You're not there yet. You haven't received him by faith yet, but you're moving in that direction. It describes some of you who are here today. You're on a journey to faith. And more and more as you investigate and you consider and and you wonder about this thing called faith in Jesus, you're on that journey to faith. And at some point, you have the opportunity to take a step. We call it here stepping across the line of faith where you do what Paul talked about in Romans 10, 9, and 10, and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he did die on the cross for your sins, and that what he did for you can only be applied to your sinful condition if you believe in him and step across that line to follow him, turning your back on the sin of your past and turning to Jesus and beginning a journey then of faith, a journey of faith, a journey that will take you all the way to the end of your earthly life, a journey in which you're to be growing and learning and becoming conformed to to the image of Christ. We call that the journey of faith. And when you begin that journey of faith, then what Proverbs 4.23 said becomes vitally important. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Uh, You know, we care a lot about the outside, but God cares only about what's in our heart. We spend a lot of time dressing up the outside, don't we? Polishing ourselves up. I mean, really, when you got ready for church this morning, you didn't just come without even looking in the mirror and just wander on to church. And by the way, we're all really glad of that because some of you'd be really scary looking if you did that. But we polish up the outside, you know. We want to make sure our hair is just right. For some of us, that's not as tough as for others. But we dress ourselves up, and, 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 and we, I mean, we want to look good, and that's, that's not a bad thing unless that becomes the most important thing. Because you see, God doesn't really care very much about the outside. What he cares about is what's on the inside, what's in our heart, because God sees through our image right into our heart, right into our heart. I want to take you to a story in the Old Testament that really makes this point very clear. It's in the book of 1 Samuel. I'm going to spend a little bit of time there. If you have a Bible and want to open it there, 1 Samuel 16. And, And here's the story. Here's the setting. Saul was king of Israel, but he really blew it. I mean, he was a horrible king. He turned his back on God. Uh, just he, he really made a mess of things. And so God, after giving him plenty of chances to turn around and be obedient, uh, God said, okay, Israel needs a new king. And so he sent the prophet Samuel 
to find and anoint the new king. That's the story, 1 Samuel 16, beginning with verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. So Samuel packs up everything and he goes and finds Jesse and his household. Pick it up with verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab. This is one of Jesse's sons who apparently was, was big and strong and handsome. He took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Looked at him and said, man, he's impressive looking. He's probably the one. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. Now, now don't miss this. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. Down to verse 10. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? They are still the youngest, Jesse replied. But he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And I love this last sentence. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully, powerfully upon David from that day on. Here's the point. It was not the physical appearance or the, or the outward impressive nature of David's older brothers or of David himself. None of that mattered to God. What mattered to God was his heart. And so once we step across the line of faith, God gives us, by, by saving us, a new heart. So after that happens, then the question becomes, how do we do what Proverbs talked about? How do we guard our heart? How do we keep a pure heart? It's not something that we can do by our own effort. It is based in our relationship with our Creator through faith in His Son. It is all about our relationship with Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you can do what? Nothing. No thing. Without me, there's nothing you can do to keep your heart pure. We need to understand it is God who gives us a pure heart. It is God. I want you to hear the brokenness and the submission of the heart of the psalmist, who, by the way, is David. 
in Psalm 19 as he pours his heart out before his God to be cleansed and purified in his heart. Psalm 19, beginning with verse 12. David said, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. And then one of the most powerful verses in the whole Bible is verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. A pure heart, a pure heart. How can we know if our heart is clean and pure before God? Don't we wish there was some kind of of gauge that could measure it and make it clear to us if our heart is pure, but, but there's not. So how do we know? And I want to tell you, there is a tangible test of whether or not our heart is pure before the Lord. Here it is. How you act will reveal the condition of your heart. How you act. Words are cheap, but it's how we live. It's how we act. Here's how the Apostle Paul explained it to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. He said, Dear friends, you've always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Now, Now look, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Now, like some of you, when I was growing up, I I grew up on the King James Version, and this verse said to work out your salvation. Anybody remember that growing up? Work out your salvation. And some people have taken that to say that there there is a condition that you've got to do certain works in order to be saved. You won't really know till you get to the end to see if you have worked enough. That is not what that verse means. Our our salvation is not based on works. We are saved by what? Grace. Grace. Undeserved favor. Grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So it's not about works. We do not work for our salvation, but we have good works because of our salvation that is by grace. And so the New Living Translators tried to make that more clear when they worded it this way, work hard to show the results of your salvation. I I actually like even better the first modern English translation way back in the 1950s is the J.B. Phillips translation. Here's how J.B. Phillips translated that. Listen, Listen, complete the salvation that God has given you with a proper sense of awe and responsibility. I like that. Complete the salvation that God has given you by grace through faith with a proper sense of awe toward your God that loved you and responsibility 
to represent him well. The Apostle Paul tells us the source of this power and direction in verse 13 of Philippians 2. He said, for God is working in you. God is working in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. God is working in you. I really like this last part. Look, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. How do we keep our heart pure? We allow him to change us every day. Now, there's some things about our heart being pure before the Lord that I want you to know before we close out the message today. Here's the first one. Listen closely. God can use but doesn't need your talents, abilities, or money, but he wants your heart. Uh, There are people with talents A little earlier, and again at the end of the service, we will have some very talented musicians here on the platform leading us in worship. They they give their talents unto the Lord. Uh, Some other people have abilities that may not be musical or artistic at all, but they have abilities they can give to God. A, A few of you may be blessed with financial resources that you could give to invest in the kingdom of God. Can I tell you, God can use all of those things, but he doesn't need any of them. There's not a thing we can give him that he doesn't already have. If we refuse to give him all of those things, it will not deter the work or the advance of God's kingdom one little bit because we have a sovereign God who will accomplish all that he purposes. Are you following me? He doesn't need those things from us, but he wants our heart. And if he has our heart, we will give him all those things and so much more and we'll do it gladly with thankfulness and humility. All right, here's another thing I want you to know. The more you willingly give your heart to him, the more he will change your heart to care about, to care about what matters to him. Here's what I'm trying to say. In our polarized, opinionated culture, We've got a lot of people that get really stirred up about a lot of things, don't we? I mean, somebody's always mad about something or stirred up about something. Some of them are important. Some of them really aren't. But what I'm trying to tell you is the more that you give your heart to the Lord, the more he will change your heart and mine to care about what really matters to him. Our heart will become more like his heart. And some of those trivialities, some of those things that are unnecessary and really unimportant in the scheme of the kingdom of God will just kind of fade away. And what really matters to God will become the things that really matter to us if he has our heart. If he has our heart. Well, here's another. Hang with me. The more that your heart grows to love him, the less self-obsessed and sinful you will become. Okay, follow me on this. 
all of us, before we came to faith in Christ, lived for our sinful nature. The Bible says we have a sinful nature. We were born with it. But when we come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit puts within us a new nature, a redeemed nature. Are you following me? We, ha we have this, this new godly nature also within us. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, those two natures are constantly at war with each other. There's a constant tension within us between our old sinful, self-obsessed nature and our new, redeemed, Christ-like nature. And the more that we give him our heart, the more we will be like our redeemed nature and the less we will be like our sinful, self-obsessed nature. Don't we want that? If we give him our heart, one final thing, and this is a big one. If true worship does not move you, then you have a heart problem spiritually. If true worship, when you are with the people of God and voices are being lifted to the Lord and praise is being given to him and you can just kind of, you know, what, what time does this thing get over? then your heart is not set on him because, because a heart that is right with God cannot restrain itself from praising him. If you love him with your heart, you can't help but praise him. He is the Lord God Almighty, creator of the universe and all that there is who loves you with a perfect love. And when your heart is attuned to him, you will pour yourself out in praise. And that's exactly what we're going to do to end this service. We're going to lift our voices to the Lord in praise. Would you stand with me as I pray? And then we will praise together. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of the love and adoration of our hearts. You alone, O oh God, are worthy of the, the commitment and the praise and the glory of all that our hearts can give you. We pray that as we conclude this time of worship today, that you would accept our praise, not just from our lips and voices, but from our hearts. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty.